we are in a series. Um, we're in a series called the Church, right? And because the Lord has, is in the process of showing us what kind of church, not what kind of church we want to be. This is not about what kind of church we want to be. We can be. We can want to be insert attribute, insert adjective. Like we can. We can insert anything we want to insert. That really counts for very little if it is not aligned to what God wants us to be. So. So, so, so I do believe that this is a series about the kind of church God is wanting on the ground right here in Sungai Buloh and right there in your homes where you are because I always say this to you, it's not my, it's not my saying but, but I like to repeat it back to you guys we don't go to church, we are the church we gather as a church everybody say this with me, we don't go to church we don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church. We gather as a church, right? We gather as a church. And today, um, the Lord wants to show us what it means um, for a church to be courageous, for us to be courageous. Now, when I, when I sat down and mapped out this whole church series, the first one to land, very intuitively, courageous church. I was just like sitting down with, with, with you know, journaling, Asking the Lord, what kind of church do you want to see? And the first one, very intuitively, courageous church. And then I didn't think a super lot about it uh, uh, on its own until this week as I was preparing for, for, for this sermon. And so, and so I, was, I, I, I found, I ended up landing in Psalm 27. So I want to show you Psalm 27 and then we're going to go into three different points and then we're going to land back into Psalm 27. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can look at it in your translation. Uh, but before I jump into Psalm 27, as, you, as you're flipping through your Bibles, the Hebrew word, so the English word uh, uh, for courage is translated uh, from uh, several Hebrew words, uh, all translate into courage, sometimes strength. Um, in Greek, there are also a few, but the one that occurs most commonly occurring, where, uh, for example, when, when in the book of Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is told, be strong and courageous, right? The word that is used is the Hebrew word amas. Okay, and this Hebrew word amas, okay, it means, it's kind of like if your heart is, you, you know how the, the Old Testament sometimes says that their hearts melted like wax? Have you all heard that before? Their, their hearts melted like wax and then they got defeated, right? And, and it's, a, it's an expression, it's kind of like a metaphor to say that you lost all your courage, right? You, you, you were overcome by fear. And so amas is the reverse of that. Amas is about hardening your heart. Not, not, not the kind of... Sometimes it's used negatively, right? Sometimes it's like... It's also used to say when people harden their hearts to be obstinate, right? So, so there's a, there, there, are, there are instances where amas is used negatively, but most of the time it means that when you are faced with something that threatens you, when you're faced with something that frightens you, and then you firm yourself up, you flex yourself, you harden yourself, you make yourself more, uh, 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 you, you, you gird yourself up to face it, to go through it. You strengthen, you find it, something is strengthened, right? And, and often it, it, it has this notion of pushing through something, becoming superior, proving to be superior and overcoming uh, a threat that is big. So there is a threat and then you are, amas or the word courage means becoming bigger than the threat. So when I was, um, when I was a kid, Right, uh, I grew up in this house in Moa. Uh, um, uh, it, it, the, we had a live, spacious-ish living room, and so I had this wall, this this empty piece of wall um, that I could kick my football against, and it would come back. Right, and so I would, and I would chuck a tennis ball at it, or I'll kick a football at it, and I, and that was like me as a kid. I used to do that all the time. Um, but every so often, I would kick the ball and then it would bounce around and then it would, it would go sideways. And there was this little corridor um, next to that part of our living room uh, where straight is the bathroom, on the left is the door to the storeroom and it was always closed. And it was dimly lit. And I, I hated that little corridor, right? Every time the ball bounced and it goes in there, I'm like... Oh, I don't have to go in, right? And sometimes when I go in there, the moment I step like like 
three, four, five steps in there, all my hair will stand. I don't have a good feeling about it. I get like overcome by sudden fear. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Rami is going like, bro, I think there's a word for it, <laughs> right? Um, never mind, right? And I will go in there. I'll quickly grab my ball, quickly push it out, and I'll run out, you know? And then it's almost, it's almost like there's a line. And the moment I cross that line, I'm okay again, right? And I'll just go back and kick the ball against the wall again. And, and every time the ball goes in there, and a little boy, seven years old, eight years old, I would have to run in there. I, I would ask myself, would I do this? And there were many days when actually, honestly, I didn't. I just left the ball there and I moved on and did my own thing. Until I could have a sibling to walk me in there or someone else went to the bathroom and said, hey, can you bring my ball out You know, on the way? Something like that. Because I did not, many days, I did not have the courage to go in there into that little place but there were days when i had when when my desire to continue playing was strong enough big enough and i actually you know hardened myself right uh, uh, stiffened my will if you can say that right and nye, nye, go right i guess the hawking people say nye, nye, do something right you 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 harden your will and you push into it and it's thick it is dark it is heavy and the atmosphere that was all around was not the spirit of the Lord. It may have been the spirit of something else, but I don't know. But you push into it, right? And it's like the Malay word is pekat. You push through the pekat atmosphere and then you get your stupid football and you dash out. Now, my friends, courage is like that. We know this. We know this because we've heard it elsewhere already. Courage is not the absence of fear. Was fear there? Yes. Fear was always there. Every time, every time I had to go in to my own eight-year-old valley of shadow of death, there was fear. There was never once where there was no fear. And then some days there was no courage to meet the fear. But other days there was sufficient courage to meet the fear. And that's what courage is. And so you may be asking yourself, church must be like that one, man. You know, I thought church is about fellowship. I thought church is about being nice to everyone, you know? I thought church is about uh, being friendly and, and gathering and singing songs and hearing that God loves me, you know? And, and, and after that, makan, you know? I, I, and, and why? why? I mean, I mean if you, maybe you're, you're, you're not firefighting, you know? You're, you're not a fireman. You're not, you're not like catching bears, you know? Why? why? Why does a church need courage, you know? And so I spent... I spent more time this week uh, in preparation for this sermon um, uh, asking the Lord, Lord, in what situations would the church need courage? I spent more time doing that this week than in any other part of sermon prep uh, uh, this week. Uh, asking the Lord, Lord, what happens? What does the church look like when it's not courageous? Under what circumstances will you bring us into, in, in, into places? Or uh, uh, Sometimes you go in. To some place, right? And sometimes you, 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 you have you, the world changes, and you just find yourself that you have to be courageous. And then I landed in Psalm 27. So I want to show you Psalm 27. The Lord, big L O R D. If you see your thing, you know I have a habit of changing it back to its original Hebrew, which is the name of God. Yeah. So, 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 uh, allow me that little indulgence. Um, verse one. Of Psalm 27, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? By the way, this is, the, this is David before he became king. Most likely when he was being chased around by King Saul. And sometimes these days we think of him being chased around as kind of like, it's almost slightly comical because King Saul is like this crazed king. And, but, but dude, the fear is real. Huh? And, uh, and uh, the feeling of being pursued and being, have some, having someone hot on your heels, threatening your death, uh, um, you don't dare to sleep, you, you, you need to think like five, six times about where you put up for the night um, because any moment you can die, you know, um, that's, that's scary, man. That's scary, you know. And in the midst of being pursued, pursued and, and being obviously, obviously as 
all kinds of reasons to be afraid. King David, not king yet, David, um, um, uh, sings this psalm. Yahweh, my light, salvation, whom shall I fear? Yahweh, the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arises against me, yet I will be confident. Next page. One thing I have asked of Yahweh, that, I, that, that will I seek after. That what? That may, I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter. In the day of trouble, He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Let's look at verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices of shouts of joy. Sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to Yahweh. Hear, O Yahweh, when I call cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. And then I love verse 8. Now I want you to see what's happening in verse 8. Because now he's like really going into it. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, of course I've sought your face, right? Right? My heart says to you, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. In other words, you told me what to do. I have done it. And so what happens in verse 12? Because you told me what to do, which is to seek your face, let's go to verse 12, um, and I have done it, therefore give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. And this is the psalm. May the Lord bless the reading of His word. By the way, that verse 13, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of, uh, of the Lord in the land of the living. I always understood this verse wrongly. I always thought it means that that is, uh, uh, I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord right, um, in, on a certain kind of land. And that kind of land is the land of the living. So when I look at the land of the living, I shall see the goodness of God, right? What I believe it means, which I misunderstood all my life, is that I sh while I am alive, I will see the goodness of God on the land. That's what it means. While I am alive, while I stand alive on the land of the living, I shall see. I don't have to die before I see the goodness of God. While I am alive, I will see. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of, the, of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Him. This is a cry of a man who is finding courage, finding God-given courage in moments of distress. But what kind of moments of distress will assail us as a church seeking to be influential, seeking to, be, to, 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 to have a stake in the territory that the Lord has given us. Three reasons why we will need to be courageous. And I want to show you these three in the following three points. Right? There is a need to be for courage to step out. And then there is a need for courage to face up. And then a need for courage to stand firm. A courage to step out is when you step out of your comfort zone into darkness, like a little boy who had to step out from his comfort zone into darkness, and enter into what you know to be threatening and, and it is frightening to enter into, crossing into enemy lines, right? That requires courage, the courage to step out. And then there is another kind of situation that demands courage and we sometimes ignore this. It is the courage to face up. And this is the courage needed to face up to the realities of your situation. It is the courage needed to face up to, to, to the data on your hands or to the reality of a bad situation that you are in and to name it. 
Because if you can't name it and you keep papering over the cracks or you keep sidestepping it, that is a sign of fear. Some, often that is a sign of fear that we don't know how to deal with it, therefore we ignore the elephant in the room. The courage to face up is to face up to sometimes the elephants in the room. And these, the first one involves a threat that is outside that you enter into. The second one involves a threat that is inside or in your midst that you have to own up to. And the third one, the courage to stand firm, speaks about a courage that is needed when the world is shifting and everything around you is pressuring at you or shifting around you and the courageous thing, the necessary needful thing is to hold your position and not to waver. Three kinds of situations that will demand courage, failing which we become a timid church and we'll see what a timid church looks like as well. Let's look at the courage to step out. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to his disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, I don't know about you, that does not sound fun. If you're a sheep, the last thing you want to do is to be given an assignment to go in about with wolves. Because sheep and wolves don't mix. The only time sheep and wolves mix is they mix in hot sauce in the stomach of the wolf, right? So behold, Jesus says, I'm sending you out the courage to step out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so therefore be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. In other words, don't be naive, okay? But keep your track record clean, okay? Don't be naive, okay? And don't be naive, or, or, or be, be wise as serpents, it's a little bit like knowing how to use your sword, but you know how to keep it sheathed. It's like knowing how to use your sword, but knowing how to keep it sheathed. So you don't go around wild and just like attacking everybody, fighting every stupid battle. You don't. You be wise as serpents. And you be as innocent as doves. You keep a clean track record. You keep a clean bill of... Or of uh, not health, you keep a clean bill of your moral standing. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts to flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and and the Gentiles. And some of you are now saying, Fergus, every week preach about persecuted people. One, and that's not true. Um, this is not about persecuted people. This is about the courage needed to face uh, to face strife, to face difficulty, and the courage will be found in verse 26, 28. So have no fear of them. Why? On what basis should we not have any fear of them? And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's referring to himself, right? In other words, Jesus is saying that there is a conflict between a party who can kill your body but can't touch your soul versus and that versus another party who can destroy everything. And he's asking you, where's your allegiance? Two weeks ago, we looked at loyalty. One week ago, we looked at loyalty, right? The loyal church. And the loyal church is about church that plants its flag on a certain kind of turf and says, I'm with you, Lord. I'm with you. You are my master. I bend my knee before you. You have my full allegiance. That's a loyal church. And today, what's the expression of a loyal church? It expresses itself by saying that I am with the one who can kill both soul and body and I'm safe in him. Therefore, I shall have no fear of the one who can only take my body. And I showed you Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Remember? Those guys, hey, you know what those guys? They were looking at, at death and then they were, and we know if you just cut through the story, you know the miracle, right? They entered the fire and they came out alive. Great! Wow! Success story, right? Don't we all love success stories? And then we hold on to that and some of us walk into fires and we die. 
And don't you think that, that the martyrs of the early church were aware about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when they were sent into, into the stadia to be mauled by lions and wild dogs? And, and, and don't you think they remembered Daniel said that, oh, if the, 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 the biblical pattern is that Christians don't get, don't get killed by lions and then they die by lions. And then some others during Nero's time will say, oh, the biblical pattern is that Christians don't get killed by fire. And then they got killed by fire. So you know what? Some of you are thinking now, then how can I trust the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel tells us about the power of God over Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego during their time for their purposes and he's showing you what he can do. And then sometimes he shows you throughout church history Sometimes that he doesn't go about that way, that he does not always follow that same pattern of rescuing you from death. Because Paul himself said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live, I get to be with you for your, for your benefit. But if I die, it's better. Paul actually says, if I die, it's better. And how is it that all these guys throughout human history have no fear? Because if you go back to J Daniel's three friends, they said, even if we die, even if we die. And then, and then from there, you have a hyperlink all the way to Matthew 10. Fear him. Don't fear him who can kill your body. You can die one. In other words, when you walk into the valley of shadow of death, there is no promise that there is only one kind of outcome and it's going to be the perfect kind of outcome. But you know what? The one promise that we really need is that God is at the end of it and He will hold you through. And just now, we, we, we saw, we, we were playing this game and there was a Clement of Alexandria, right? And I was immediately brought back to Clement of Rome. And Clement of Rome was the first bishop of Rome and he was a disciple of the apostle Peter. And Clement of Rome was tied to an anchor and thrown into the water to drown in it. He died, but he had no fear. He could have chickened out. Clement of Rome could have said, no, I'm not going to be, I, 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 I'm not done with Jesus, you know, uh, uh, and all that. But no, he stood firm. He had, he had courage to step out and he kept on stepping. He kept on stepping out. Wow, wow, my English is, is, is all over right now, right? You keep on stepping out the way the, uh, the fathers of our church have, have done so in the past. Why? Because there is thick, pukat darkness all around us and the call of Jesus is to go into all the world. Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And what it does not say is the level of danger some of these places are going to present. But what it does say is that, Behold, I am with you until the end of the age. I am with you. My rod and staff will comfort you. When you walk in to the pukat darkness, that valley of shadow of death leads out into a table set before you in the the presence of your enemies and I will honour you when you pass through the darkness and you find courage to do what is needful to step out into darkness some of us right now you are facing a world a post-covid world right or covid world slash post-covid world it's a wasteland and you're looking at a market, it feels like a wasteland. You're looking at all these vacated spaces and you're thinking, who's going to go in first? Some of us dare to go in, some of us dare not go in. And some of us thinking that first one goes in first wins, right? You get, you, you, you get the land and you don't know what to do. And the Lord says that, that in the days to come, I'm going to bring you into a land. He says that to the church, Sungai Bulo Church, I'm going to bring you into a land. But in order to do that, you need to step out from the place of comfort into the place of frontiers. Stepping out into the place of new frontiers. And often, and often to step out, the necessity to, for courage to step out means that it is because to, you want and you have a calling over our lives to do good. Bring light, bring life into parts of the world that are covered in darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 says, A people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. That means light 
enters, penetrates, pushes, breaks in and evicts darkness. Everywhere it goes, it just fills up that space, pushing darkness into the shadows until light fills every single part and darkness is fully pushed back. That is the job of Jesus. Our role is to carry that light and find courage to step out of our light into darkness. It's like playing those RPG games, you know, where you push into map, you know, you're extending the map and every time you extend the map, you see a little bit more, you see a little bit more of the map, right? That's exactly what it is. And the Lord will deliver for you enough courage for the next Lanka because the Word of God is the lamp unto my feet. You all may have heard me say this before, the lamp at your feet gives just enough light for the next step. He gives you just enough courage for the next step. He gives you just enough data for the next step. And the real data he's, he's giving to you is, I am with you until the end of the age. We need courage to step out. Now, what does a church, why does a church need courage to step out? There'll be days when we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ to people, to people whose communities reject the gospel. And there are all kinds of people whose communities will reject the gospel. I know of people whose families allowed them to go to church but refused to let them get baptised. And the moment they even, even came close to wanting to get baptised, they were actually, the doors were closed and there were bags thrown out of the house and said, forget it, don't come home anymore. To step out means sometimes we're going to have be called to go into places that are, that, that are hostile to the gospel and make friends and lower the barriers and eventually share the good news about Jesus Christ. And when Daniel went to his window, as he was accustomed to do, and got on his knees and prayed, and people saw his naysayers, saw him and said, see this guy. Then they screen-capped Daniel praying <laughs> and showed it uh, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then got him thrown into the pit of lions. He didn't go out into, so to speak, like, like you know, the midst of wolves. He just stood his ground right where he was and said, I'm going to practice my faith in a context where it is now illegal, but I'm still going to do it. That's stepping out in his own way. And I believe that the day will come. I'm praying for the day to come. That Sungai Buloh Church will be a safe haven, a city of refuge. And I'm telling you guys, church, are y'all going to tell these guys, uh, sorry, uh, uh, our church is not, we're, we're, we're not called um, to, to this ministry. Please don't say that. <laughs> Please don't say that. It's, not that. it's not that I lose face before them, you know. It's that I lose face before Jesus. All of us lose face before Jesus. All of us will lose face before Jesus. Cannot. There is no such thing, man. Frankly, I know that, uh, now I'm, I'm going to be careful when I say this. There are churches who have been on the journey and are ahead in that journey and they are more ready. Yes. Um, but every church has to be a safe harbour for those who are feeling threatened. There's no two ways about it. And so I've heard of churches who say that, sorry, we're not equipped for this kind of thing. Um, maybe another church. And I, and, and, and I can understand the journey they're on. And maybe it is true that they're not quite ready yet. But do you sit on it? Or do you move forward and say, let's make ourselves ready. Let's make ourselves ready. Because for the church to, to, to be salt and light on this land, we need to be able to step out. So thankful Joel Vergis is here and Shamin is here because I prophesy this, that the whole of SIBKL will have the courage whenever we come in. And you know what? I know we do. I know we do. So I thank God for, for all of us. Having the courage to step out means sometimes that you do good to people and you don't even know if they're going to be good back to you. You don't even know you if you can trust them, but you still do good for them. Uh, and, and welcoming all kinds of people into our church to be a loving community, welcoming all kinds of others and outsiders. And of course, courage to step out means stepping out into deep, thick darkness and battling against evil. That's the obvious one, you know. Uh, um, uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have to do a... a, a, a kind of like a house cleansing right, for, for, for one, of our, one of our brothers' workplace, right? 
You go into dark territories. You battle against evil. You fast before that, yes. You pray throughout that, of course. And then you enter into the enemy's territory because Jesus said that when you tie down the strong man, you can go into his house and plunder. But you only can tie down the strong man when you have a stronger man. That's where you find courage to step out. When you know that you are with the stronger man. And later you're going to see the answers in Psalm 27. Actually, how do you find courage? What spiritual disciplines do you have to find courage? We'll look at it in a moment. But I want to move on. I want to move on. Because the first one is a courage to step out. The second one is a courage to face up. And this is maybe one of those that we are a little bit more aware of these days. A courage to face up to your own weaknesses, your own institutional weaknesses, your own familial weaknesses. And for this, I want to bring you to 1 Samuel chapter 1. It is a very painful, sad story about a priest called Eli who had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And I'm just going to simplify it for you by telling you that these two sons were worthless fools, being leaders in the temple, but sleeping with the, with, the, with the single girl volunteers and they were pilfering from the sacrifices offered to God and by right they should have been smote like, 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 like sheep at the altar already. And verse 22 says, Now Eli, the father, was very old. He kept hearing all, all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Ah boy, why you do such thing? <laughs> right? Why is Eli suddenly Chinese? I don't know. Right? For I hear of your evil dealings with all these people. No, my son, don't la, don't la, please la, don't like that la. It is no good. It is no good report that I hear the peoples of Yahweh spreading abroad. If someone is sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, Yahweh, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of Yahweh to put them to death. He got, God had, des like, he, he had decided these, these two young guys are going to die already. Next verse. Ne is, there, is there a next one? No, there isn't a next one. I want to show, show you this because I want to show you that, that in the midst of this little scandal, in the temple, Eli didn't do anything. You would think he would have cut them off and said, too much, sons. Yeah, you're out. Like, sorry, man, you're out. Right? You're still my sons. We still dine at the table, you know, with mum, you know. But as far as serving in the house is, you're absolutely out. And I, my, my grey hair is not going to the grave on your account, right? Like, ain't, ain't going to happen. And the integrity of the house cannot stand for this. But he didn't. He allowed them to continue doing it until God had to come in and intervene and get these two guys killed in order to cleanse his house. And so Eli did not have the courage to face up. Sometimes we need the courage to face up, to do the right thing, even if and often when it comes, doing the right thing comes at our own expense. Sometimes when, it come, when doing the right thing comes at the, our own inconvenience. When it, when, when, sometimes when, it, when exposing truth threatens our own stability, threatens our own prosperity, it threatens uh, um, the, our own growth opportunities, and it causes trouble to all of us on leadership, all of us on serving team, all of us in the church. And then we are scared. It gives us a bad reputation. Maybe after that, people don't want to come to our church anymore. And so when we can't face up to it, then the opposite of facing up is to cover up. Oh. And we see this happening in modern day churches, sometimes mega church, sometimes not so mega church. We see it happening all the time, my friends, all the time. Volunteer, staff, somebody, some leader, somebody, sexual harassment case, sexual molestation case, you know, pilfering this, doing this, doing that, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of, of wrongdoing. And then you say that we are too big to fail, guys. This cannot go out. This cannot go out. It's too big. It's just too big. We just can't, we just can't afford this, right? And, and then there's a line where they cross. And after all, doesn't the Bible say we should restore people and we should forgive and give people a second chance? Spiritual, uh, 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 we spiritualize it. 
and then we find our, ex our exit clause. Suddenly, our exit door open already. The trap door open already. After all, shouldn't we just forgive and, and make up, you know, and just forget it. Jesus says He doesn't remember any of our sins. So let's just forget it. And we can't face up to the elephant in the room. That something has happened or that something wrong is constantly happening some culture is constantly toxic something is constantly wrong and then we say nah, it's, it's just not. And, and we walk around the elephant in the room and then we find our way out thinking it'll be okay until somebody goes onto instagram and hashtag me to you you know and then we say, oh, you know, we're taking this seriously. Guys, we're taking this seriously. And then you go back and you try to recover your step. By then, integrity all lost. Friends, this happens everywhere. If it happens to Eli in, the, in 1 Samuel and it's happening today, then this falls under the general category of there is nothing new under the sun. There really is nothing new under the sun. And we ourselves, Sungai Bulo Church, will be faced with the same kinds of things. There will be days when we will feel that, that oh, to make a decision, you know, uh, 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 that, that, that's difficult, will come at our expense, it's inconvenient, it's blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I think, you know what? Ayah, ayah, no need one la, no need one la. Let's just find another way. And sometimes it can even be that I cannot talk to you in order to settle a conflict and because it's so inconvenient and it's so hard and I don't want to deal with it, you know, I'm scared, you're angry at me, I send someone else to talk to you. And that's called triangulation. And Sungai Bulo Church, one way that, that we are determined not to do conflict management is to do conflict management by triangulation. Okay? Bible says, if your brother has a beef with you, before you offer your gift at the altar, go to your brother <laughs> or go to your sister. Don't go to a third-party agent who's going to go to your brother, you know, and then try to smoothen things out and then suddenly a triangle becomes a hexagon and then suddenly you've grown the problem way bigger than it ought to be. The courage to face up. We need that. Stepping into this world. There's just way too many stories for us to ignore. And then the third one is this. The first one was that we need courage to step out out into darkness, out into threatening places. The second one is a courage to face up, to own up to our own limitations, our own problems, our own messes, and then to say, look, this is an elephant, let's deal with it. And the Lord will help us deal with it. He gives us courage to deal with it. He gives us outlets, to, uh, a way out to deal with it. And then a, th a third one is when the Lord says, stand firm, hold your ground. Don't be lalang. Don't, like, don't be a jellyfish. Gonna blown everywhere by the tide. Stand firm because the world is going to shift under your feet. And as the world shifts under your feet, I need you to hold your position and not shift with the tide. And I want to show you this. Let's look at the Bible text. Let's look at the Bible text. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, this is King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat, the context, he's facing Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir, right? The Meonites. Moabites, Ammonites, Mount Seir. All of them attacking him at the same time. And he's, he is freaking out. And so he does the only thing he knows how to do, which I love this. I, now go back, read 2 Chronicles 20, go read Jehoshaphat's prayer. I love, all of us will memorize Jehoshaphat's prayer. I'm saying this to myself, Fergus, memorize Jehoshaphat's prayer, right? He says this in verse 15, and he said, Listen all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says Yahweh to you, Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, this is the word of the Lord. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Cue the song. The battle belongs to you, right? Verse 16. The word of the Lord says to King Jehoshaphat, Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the, ancient, by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. Verse 17. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. 
and see the salvation of Yahweh on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. You see this, the courage called to stand firm. Tomorrow, go out against them and Yahweh will be with you. Remember, remember the Great Commission. Tomorrow, go out. Yahweh will be with you until the end of the age. Matthew 28, right? Same thing. Same, same Yahweh, same command. Same command, same assurance. Go out. Go out where? Against them. Against who? The powers of darkness. But you say, stand firm. This one is the one where I don't have to go out. This is the one where the tide is shifting. Yes. You want to know what's happening here? With three armies encamped, kapong them completely. And Jehoshaphat prays. And the Lord says, don't freak out. Go out. You still have to go out. I thought no need to go out. You just have to go out. You don't even have to wield your sword. You don't even have to lift your shield. You don't even have to raise your banner. Just go out and resolve in your heart that you're going to keep on keeping on. And you want to know what happened? Overnight, the Moabites and the Ammonites ambushed Mount Seir. Enemies. Three parties, enemies. They whack each other. Two parties whack the third party. And once they had cleared out Mount Seir, the Ammonites and the Moabites took out each other. But what is called for Jehoshaphat, you still go out. Go out for what? To battle? But like to think, you're, you're like, like you know, kononia uh, uh, to battle, right? They go out to battle. And then they go out, actually the Lord wants them to go out to see the victory. The Lord wants you to go out to see the victory. But if you don't step out, you don't see the victory. And you don't realise you're still stuck in your palace. You're still stuck behind your castle walls. You're thinking, oh, they're there, they're there. They're going to kill me, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. And the whole time, the Lord has given you victory. And the same thing happened for Hezekiah. 185,000 of Sennacherib's Assyrian soldiers camped around him. And the Spirit of the Lord came and killed all 185,000. He stepped out the next day. They were all dead. And Sennacherib had to go back to Assyria and then his sons killed him there. Who fights the battle? We looked at Ezekiel, end times Ezekiel, earlier this year. Remember that? Ezekiel chapter 37. God breathes his breath, his ruach, upon the valley of dry bones. And all the bones came together. The flesh came on the bones. And then the skin and everything came on the bones and they became an exceedingly great army. You all remember that? By the way, that's 37. A great army has just risen up. Chapters 38 and 39 is the battle of Gog and Magog. Strictly speaking, if you read it, 37, 38, 39, you imagine that this army will be involved in the battle of Gog and Magog. Right? That's, that's just a story. That, that's like logical. A great army is raised up, a huge battle ensues. But guess what? You don't hear about this great army in the battle of God and Magog. You hear about the enemies growing, uh, collecting a huge confederation of the enemies of God, and then thunder, earthquake, lightning, earth splits, mountains shake, and then all the enemies of God are destroyed. And then suddenly you end up in chapter 40, the temple. And so I take you into Revelation. This whole year we did Revelation, Right? Jesus raises up his army, his army of, 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 of all of the nations. And then he goes to battle. Bang! New Jerusalem comes. Who wins the battle? Who fights the battle? It's called upon us to step out. But who wields the sword? Not us. In, the, in reality, the final big battle, God does the slaying of the enemy. He throws the enemy into the lake of fire, not us. And still, while on earth, we are part of the kingdom of God. And there'll be many days when you and I will be called to step out and to face up and to stand firm. And sometimes that stepping out, uh, uh, facing up and standing firm involves the enemy's head being crushed under our feet. 
It does, it will. That's Romans chapter 16. But that's the call over our lives. The decisive victory comes from the Lord. But we are called to stomp. Amen? So my friends, there'll be days when we are called to hold on to our integrity. As a church, what does that mean? A courageous church will say no to corrupt practices, regardless. A courageous church will say no to corrupt practices even when it costs us or hampers our growth. You know, a long time ago, someone offered Pastor Chu a huge donation and then there was a little fine print. Can I have one weekend on your pulpit? Pastor Chu said no. Pastor Chu said no. No, you can't buy my pulpit. And so that guy changed church. <laughs> he changed church, and he, uh, and he brought his he brought his big paycheck, his big check, and 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 he got his pulpit somewhere else, I believe. I, if I remember the story correctly, he did. Yeah, but we will hold on to our integrity. We cannot be bought. A courageous church that stands firm will say no to political patronage, corporate patronage, and interference have to say no. Speak for Jesus. We don't speak for anybody else. It is not a platform to advertise anything other than the glory of Jesus Christ. A courageous church that stands firm will say no to the cultural pressures around us to conform and to become their allies, whatever that may be. On the far left, far right, it's the same thing. Even in centre, it's the same thing. Courageous church will not be pressured and cowed to conform and become allies for any cultural movement out there. We are allies of one, is Jesus. And we're thankful he would, that He would ally with us. Rather, we ally with Him. So my friends, what does a timid church look like? If we don't find this courage, we'll be swayed, we'll be pushed around, and then every day we'll, have, we'll be beholden to this guy, then we'll be beholden to that guy, and then when this guy calls, we have to ikot because we ikot their parenta, you know, and then because we dare not say no to them, and we dare not say no to them, and we dare not say no to them, because we have grown timid. A timid church will sidestep around all our systemic problems and not deal with them and ignore them and pretend they don't exist and you collect elephants in the room and then you just keep having to enlarge your room so you don't see those elephants. That's a timid church and you, and you never deal with your problems and you never, you never settle your, your conflicts. A timid church will not settle their conflicts. They will just move people far, far away from each other. I say, if one day Ramesh and Lionel fight with each other <laughs> and, and I dare not bring them to the table, a timid pastor will say, Ramesh, you'll be in charge of this ministry. And then this ministry in the Okchak is like so far and like Lionel, you'll be in charge of this ministry. So you all never have to cross paths. And I hope that the church grows bigger so that the distance between the two of you grows further and so that I never have to deal with this conflict. Because a timid church does not have the courage to face up and sit at the table. And a timid church will not dare to step out. It will shirk from the tackle. It will pull back from the opportunity to bring gospel. It will be afraid. And when pure evil stands before it, it won't have the spiritual authority to deal with it. When you're face to face with demonic powers, witchcraft, curses and death, you won't have the spiritual authority to stand, your firm, stand firm your ground. Know that your insights have been cleaned out because you have faced up to all of your internal things and you can step out boldly. You can step out boldly and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out. But we're going to be a church that is courageous because the Lord has called for us to step into dangerous places. And I always say this, my, my, my daughter when she was four, my eldest, used to say to me, Papa, drive safe, preach dangerous. Drive safe. Preach dangerous. Every single one of us. That's my call for all of us. We're going to close now. If you are facing a situation that frightens you, if you are facing a future that terrifies you or it just makes you just a little bit uneasy and you're not sure, 
and you're not sure what it is, you're not sure whether this venture can succeed anymore, you're not sure whether to restart here, you're not sure whether to pivot uh, um, your organisation to do something else, you're not sure whether uh, um, to, to, to change and to, and to, and to become a stay-at-home mum, you're not sure whether you want to you, you, you uh, uh, take on this role that's going to take up more time. You're not sure what lies ahead, but you're saying, Lord, we're going to be a church that is courageous and for that to take place, I have to face the next thing in my life. I have to face the next thing in my life with Jesus. And the Lord says, Behold, I am with you until the end of the age. I am with you. I am with you. As he was with Jehoshaphat, as he was with the 12 apostles, he will be with us as he was with Clement of Rome thrown into the sea. He will be with us, every one of us. Thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that no matter what stands before us, whatever threat stands before us, you are bigger, you are better, you are stronger, you are the stronger man that ties down the strong man. And Father, you will, you will arrest and bring down into submission every spiritual power of darkness. Father, you are the one whose name is above every other name. And because of that, Lord, Father, every spiritual power is subject to you, Lord God. Every tongue must confess, every knee must bend before And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you are mighty, to save and when you died on the cross Lord God you made a spectacle of every spiritual power stripping them of their authority and making a mockery of all evil things Lord God a public spectacle Lord God so that once and for all you have given us a decisive victory so church you don't have to be afraid Psalm 27 continues to say I will gaze upon you. I will look at you. I will wait on you. I will listen to you. Church, that's how we grow courageous. That's not namby-pamby. I know sometimes we think that, oh, why so romantic? Why, why the answers that Psalm 27 offers us uh, uh, is it, not like, not so manly, you know, not so like, rah. It's like, what? Gaze at you? Inquire in your temple? Gaze upon your beauty, not exciting, not manly, not fierce, not strong. I give me something fierce and bold. No, no. When frightened people gaze at the Lord, they grow courageous. When weak people inquire in His temple, wait on the Lord, courage fills them. That's the way of the kingdom. So I pray for every single one of us that we will not fall into the ideas of this world that in order to grow courage, you need to make lots of noise and like beat lots of drums and, and like, you know, rouse yourself up artificially. That's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is to go and center yourself in the Lord and gaze upon His beauty. Be anchored back into His love for you as He says, Surely I am with you until the end of the age. And that makes us strong. So Father, I just want to send us off today with your love, with your power, with your strength. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance towards you and give you peace. And all of God's people, shout aloud. Amen.